Welcome to the SMC 2021 podcast. What if God wanted to do something new in your life? This is your fresh start. Hey, I am glad that you are joining me for this breakout session. My name is Brandon Reitz. I help lead Stumo in the state of Oklahoma. And I'm excited for what we're going to get to talk about today. We've got a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in. I have three kids, Mason, Rylan, and Kaylee. And we're a family that enjoys playing board games and card games. When my kids were younger, there were three games that were regularly in our rotation. Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, and War. Each of these games have one common thread. Complete and total luck. But kids don't get that. And I remember one time Mason had won, I think it was three games in a row of Candyland. He said to me, he looked at me and he goes, Daddy, the reason I'm winning is because I practice a lot. <laughs> well, it was different when Mason or Rylan or Kaylee are losing. All of a sudden they would say things like, this game is stupid. This is all luck. <laughs> but when they're winning, it was talent. My kids at times in the middle of these games, if they were losing, would want to stop playing. And some of you know this, we have a family motto, Reitz's don't quit. And it is still a motto today. I taught my kids that motto from when we were young, uh, when my kids were young. Why do I tell you that? Because just that little piece, Reitz's don't quit, is something that I've been trying to teach my kids in the area of character. I'm trying to teach them character qualities that will set them up well in life. Unfortunately, we live in a culture of quitters. We live in a culture of people with low character. And I don't want my kids to be that way. And I don't want you, the listener, to be that way. I want you to take a second and just discuss these two questions. How would you define character? And who is a person that you respect their character and why? Take a second and discuss those. Back in 2007, a guy named Joshua Bell went into the Washington, D.C. subway system. And he went down where you can, you can be a, you know, a street performer down in that subway area. He had on jeans, a white t-shirt, and a Washington Nationals baseball hat. He sat down all day and played Mozart, Bach, Schubert, and thousands of people passed by him that day. He was playing a Stradivari violin worth over $3 million. Three days earlier, Joshua Bell sold out the Boston Symphony Hall. The cheapest tickets were $100. He made $32 from the 27 people that dropped money in the little violin case in front of him in that D.C. subway. Only seven people actually stopped to watch and listen. He was hidden in plain sight. Joshua Bell is one of the most accomplished violin players in the world. Some of us are kind of like Joshua Bell. We're hidden in plain sight. There are people that have impeccable character, but you don't see it all the time. But one day, that character is going to be revealed and it's going to open up doors for you and for them and give them incredible opportunities. Others of us 
are walking cesspools of wickedness with major character flaws. But to the naked eye, we appear to have it all together. And I'm telling you that eventually you'll be found out. See, in this Joshua Bell story, at the end of the rush hour, finally one person, one person that had stood and listened for several minutes figured it out, figured out that this was Joshua Bell. That's like our character. Eventually, both good and bad character will catch up with us, and it will either open doors or it will close doors. In the old Batman Begins movie, Christian Bale, the Batman character, says this at one point. He says, it's not who I am on the inside, but what I do that defines me. Problem, not true. Who you are on the inside determines who you are on the outside. So you can trick or fool people for a long time, but eventually you'll be found out. Why? Because whether you know it or not, Your identity is directly tied to your character and your character directly tied to your identity. The decisions and practices of your everyday life are either building in you a greater, stronger character or diminishing and destroying the little bit of character you have left. Matthew 12, 34 says this, for out of the overflow of the heart, The mouth speaks. Who you are, your identity, your heart, the overflow of your heart, determines your character, determines what you say. It determines what you think about. It determines how you act. See, the Bible says this, actually in the same chapter. A tree is recognized by its fruit. If you see an apple tree, what kind of tree is it? Apple. If you see an orange tree, What kind of tree is it? Orange. But what if we took a normal everyday tree that's not a fruit tree and we took some apples and stapled them to a random tree? Maybe for a little while, you'd walk by that tree and say, hey, look, it's an apple tree. I never knew apple trees grew here. But what would happen after a little while? We'd all know, wouldn't we? Those apples would slowly start to mold and rot. And then we'd realize, oh, that's not an apple tree. That's a tree posing as an apple tree. This is what many of us try to do in the area of our character. We don't truly have good character. And so we staple some okay behaviors to mask who we actually are. Here's what I mean. Identity is this interesting word. Brandon, why are we talking about identity when we're in a character breakout? Well, here's why. As I mentioned, your identity is vital to your character. Your character will be built out of who you are and who you believe you are. Identity is derived from two Latin words. The first Latin word is essentios, which means being. And the second Latin word is identium. And it means repeatedly. Identity literally means your repeated being. The more you believe something, the more you will do something. If you believe that you are bad at school, then you will continue to be bad at school. If you believe you're not a good test taker, 
then you will continue to be a poor test taker. If you believe that you are lazy or you are not a morning person, then you will continue to not be a morning person. However, if you believe that you are good at something, then you will continue that action causing you to be good. If you believe you're a good athlete, then I would guess that you probably try to stay in shape. You try to get more gifted at that sport. If you believe that you are good at school or that you have a natural kind of uh, bend towards academics, then I would guess that you spend time in the library and you actually hone that character. See, most habits are an identity issue, not a habit issue. What we practice are the things that we tell ourselves that we're good at. But practices are also what drive our identity. It's cyclical. So I'm going to give you a few ways, but we're going to start with two. Two ways to become the person slash have the character that you want. The first is this. To grow great character, you've got to decide the type of person that you want to be. You have to decide who you want to be. Now, if you're following Jesus, then the Bible is very clear. It declares who you are. You are God's child. You are redeemed by him. You are in Christ. And you've got to start telling yourself that more often. But then there's character qualities that come along with being a follower of Christ. They're called the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are found in Galatians 5. But in the midst of that, you've got to decide the type of person that you want to be. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book called The Roots or The Root of Righteousness. And he says this, Whatever a man wants badly and persistently enough will determine the man's character. I want you to hear that again. Whatever a man wants badly and persistently enough will determine the man's character. Who do you really want to be? What do you want to be true in your life? What do you want your character to be? If you want that bad enough, then that will actually create practices in your life to build that character, to become that type of person. Let me say this in a negative way. If you're always desiring to please people, to just keep the peace, to have everyone around you like you, then for the rest of your life, you will be a people pleaser. You will be a spineless, cowering puppy that ebbs and flows in different groups for the rest of your life, never being the same whole person that you know you should and probably even want to be. This is bad character. And we have a lot of people like this in the world. What you need to recognize is this. Character is a choice. Character is a choice. There are lots of things in life you have no choice in. Your height, your IQ, who your parents are, who your siblings are, your skin color, so on and so forth. My wife was once walking around a lake in the town we live in, and she came back to the house, and uh, she said, hey, Brandon, I saw a guy 
uh, when I was walking that reminded me of you. And I said, really, why? And she goes, well, he was a short, stocky black guy that looked like he was high. Okay, for those of you that can't see me, I'm not black, I'm white. This is what my wife thought of me. Uh, I don't even know why I tell you that story. Other than the fact my kids may not have chosen a short, stocky, loud guy to be their dads, but they didn't have that choice. You don't get to choose your parents. We don't pick our talents or our IQ, but we do choose our character. Character is a choice. In fact, we create our character almost every time we make a choice. And so choosing the type of person that you want to be will greatly impact your character. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to James 3. James 3 says this, But the wisdom that comes from God, I'm in verse 17, the wisdom that comes from God is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. An incredible list of the type of person that is leaning on the wisdom of God. But I want to hone in on one word, that last one there, sincere. Sincere is the Greek word. Greek is what the New Testament was written in. The Greek word for sincere is anupakritos. Anupakritos. And anupakritos means this. It means undisguised. It was actually a marketplace term. It was a term used of clay pots. If a pot was not fired at the correct temperature, then it would crack. Vendors who wanted to sell these pots, they maybe weren't totally destroyed, they just had small cracks, had found this way to seal up the cracks with fake clay. To the naked eye, you couldn't tell. It looked like a whole pot. But for those who were really gifted in the area, in the marketplace of buying clay pots, knew that if you picked up that clay pot and you put it up to the sunlight, the light would show the fake clay. It would show it's a slightly discolored clay. It wasn't one whole pot. But if you held it up to the light, this clay pot, and it had been fired correctly and there were no cracks, then this person who was going to buy this clay pot would say, Anupakritos, undisguised, no cracks. When we, so to speak, could hold our our lives up and put it into the light of the scriptures, put it into the light of good character. Do you have cracks in your character? Or are you the same type of person in each environment you're in? Are you undisguised? Are you a person of integrity? See, no amount of reputation can substitute for character. Warren Wiersbe said that. No amount of reputation can substitute for character. And this is what we were talking about earlier. No matter who people say you are, if it's just a reputation, eventually your character will catch up with you. So part of deciding who you want to be is admitting who you are. And then maybe, more importantly, realizing that's not who you always have to be. We either fall in one of two ditches when it comes to building character or diminishing our character. 
One ditch is you don't face reality. You pretend you're someone you're not. You're the person that's a tree that's trying to staple apples to the tree. You put up a front. You don't live in reality. You don't actually face the brutal facts of who you are. The second ditch would be this, believing you can never change. Oh, that's just my personality. I'm just an angry person. Oh, I just, I'm a verbal processor. And so I just kind of vent on, I just vomit on people. That's just who I am. I am so sick of people saying that's just who I am. It's not who you have to be. The first point is you need to decide the type of person you want to be. The second, to build the character, to become the person or the character that you want, you prove it. You prove it with small wins. You prove it with small wins. Whether you know it or not, you become and you have become your habits or your choices. But your habits also dictate who you believe you are. Every action This is out of a book called Atomic Habits. He says this, every action is a vote for the person that you want to become. Every action is a vote for the person that you want to become. Similar to what we said earlier, you build your character one choice at a time. Every choice you make is either building or diminishing your character. I want to share two laws with you in this section. The first is this, the law of solidarity. What you are in one area, you will be in other areas. What you are in one area, you will be in other areas. See, the way that you do small things is the way you do all things. Years ago, I was teaching Mason how to mow the yard. And Mason's now has a couple yards that he mows. But when he was younger, he would mow and he didn't do a great job. He would leave what I would call mohawks in the middle of the yard. So he'd he'd do a couple lines and then he would get his wheels off of the the line that he was on and he'd create these little mohawks. And when he was younger, I remember he'd get done with a section. I'd be like, okay, bud, what do you think? And he'd look back, he goes, yeah, I'm done. And I go, Mace, you're not done. You see those tufts of grass? You see those mohawks? He goes, yeah. And I go, you need to go do those. And he goes, no, dad, I don't think I do. Nobody's going to know. Ah, character. And I would tell Mace, hey, Mace, you may not know this. Okay, dude was young at this point, but I, I always took these opportunities as a chance to teach. Mace, that mohawk, you may just see a little tuft of grass. Here's what I see. I see a kid who could get A's in school, but he's getting C's. That tuft of grass is a broken relationship that you could have worked hard to reconcile but you chose just to let the relationship go. That's a conflict. That mohawk right there is a conflict that you easily could have resolved, but you chose not to. That tuft of grass right there is a time you could have been really wise with your words and built somebody up, but you chose to just be lazy and you tore them down. And I remember Mace, the first time we talked through this, he goes, you see all of that in that one little tuft of grass? And I said, yeah, Mace, here's what that means. The law of solidarity. What you do in one area, you will do in another area. If you quit in one area, you're going to quit in other areas. 
If you procrastinate in one area, you're going to procrastinate in other areas. But it has a positive effect too. So what you are in one area, you will be in others. If you actually go back and cut those mohawks and you finish the job and you do it with excellence, well, if you finish a job in one area, you're going to finish in other areas. If you do a project with excellence, you're going to do other things with excellence. If you take the extra minute just to tell somebody something encouraging, you're going to be that way in other areas. The law of solidarity What you are in one area, you will be in other areas. So part of that is telling yourself. We're going to go back to that first point. Telling yourself the type of person that you want to be. I want to be a finisher. I want to be a person that does things with excellence. I want to be a committed person. I want to be a person of discipline. And then you start doing those in small areas. Just get up some small wins. In that book, Atomic Habits, he mentions a friend of his who lost over a 100 pounds because of this, is what he says. This person continually told themselves they were a healthy person, even though for years they had been a very unhealthy person. And then throughout the day, they would ask themselves, hey, what would a healthy person order for breakfast? I really want to get the double bacon, you know, bacon, egg, and cheese melt but a healthy person might get the, you know, whatever, egg white omelet. What would a healthy person do here? Would they take a cab or would they walk? What would a healthy person do? Would they take the stairs or take the elevator? What would a healthy person do with their evening? And all of a sudden, over time, this person continually told themselves, I am a healthy person. And so I'm going to make this decision. And they lost a hundred pounds. And those small little things, just taking the stairs versus the elevator, just ordering something slightly different, not getting fries, but getting veggies. Those small wins built up over time. And this person who wanted to have health in their life became healthy. I want to talk about a second law. There was a man, a French philosopher back in the uh, 1700s named Denise Diderot. And he lived most of his life poor in poverty. That all changed when his daughter was about to get married in December of 1765. Being that he was not well off financially, he would not have been able to cover his daughter's wedding. However, Diderot was the co-founder and writer of Encyclopédie. Not Encyclopédie, Encyclopédie. One of the most comprehensive encyclopedias of the day. When Catherine the Great of Russia heard of Diderot's financial troubles, her heart went out to him. She was a book lover and greatly enjoyed his encyclopedias, and so she offered to buy his entire library for a thousand pounds, which in today's money would be like $150,000. Now, Diderot had the money to not only pay for his daughter's wedding, but also to have some money for himself. And so he decided to get himself something in the process. He bought a scarlet robe. His robe was beautiful, and it was so beautiful, in fact, that when he took it home and put it with the rest of his common things, it felt out of place. It didn't fit with the rest of his belongings. And instead of being able to enjoy what he had, this new robe, he now desired to to upgrade 
everything else in his home, all of his possessions. He bought a rug from Damascus to replace his old rug. He replaced his dining room table with a nice table. He got a new mirror for above his mantle. He decorated his home with expensive sculptures. He replaced his straw chair for a a leather one. You get the idea. And like falling dominoes, one purchase led to the next, which led to the next and led to the next. And Diderot's behavior is not uncommon. In fact, the tendency that one purchase leads to another has a name. It's called the Diderot effect. This effect states that acquiring a new possession often leads to a spiraling of consumption and new purchases. And you can see this everywhere. You buy a new couch. And then you start to question the entire layout of your room. This happens a lot when new phones come out. You buy a new iPhone. And now you want to buy a new screen protector, a new case. You want to buy the new headphones uh, that come with it. You want to get a new watch to match your new phone. You want to get new bands for this new watch and so on and so forth. What's my point? Many of us live our lives the same way that we buy things. One thing leads to the next. See, purchases aren't done in isolation, and neither are our routines, our practices, our habits that lead to our character. I want to call this practice piling. Some have called it habit stacking. One thing leads to another thing in our life. One practice, one routine leads to the next routine, which leads to the next routine, which leads to our character. Let me give you an example. You get home from a long day. You put on comfortable clothes, you turn on the TV, and then you eat ice cream. Well, you're trying to get in shape, and so you don't want to eat ice cream. But for some reason, when you have a long day or a stressful day in class, you still come home, (laughs) you watch TV, and you eat ice cream. The problem is not the ice cream. It's your practice piling. It's all of these piling of different routines, these practices that lead to the ice cream. So if you can find a routine in your life and then change just one little aspect of that routine and you turn it into a practice, all of a sudden you could drastically change your character. So you get home from a long day, you put on comfortable clothes, but instead of going and turning on the TV, you say, hey, my Putting on comfortable clothes is going to remind me I'm going to do 20 push-ups and 20 sit-ups. And you start doing that over time, and before you know it, you're not going to that ice cream. You may still turn the TV on here and there, but you're not going to that ice cream. Or maybe you come home and you put on comfortable clothes, and you decide, hey, I'm going to sit down just for 10 minutes. I'll even put a timer on, and I'm going to read the scriptures just for 10 minutes. And before you know it, that habit has started to develop into a practice which develops into all of a sudden you're a person who knows the scriptures. And it was just because you changed one little practice in this pile of practices of when you come home. See, you have all of these routines and practices in your life and you don't have to drastically change all of them. You just need to adjust one within that routine And now you can start to build character. Part of this is just about living by priority. See, every day you will either live by priorities or you will live by pressures. You either decide what is important in your life 
or you will let circumstance, the world, and people tell you what is important. And I want to give you a promise that if you let the circumstances of the world, the pressures of this life, and other people determine your priorities, you will never, ever grow in good character. Herbert Bayard Swope, he was a journalist for the New York World back in the 1900s. He said this, and I love this quote. I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is this. Try to please everybody. If you let other people determine what's important to you and what your priorities are, you will never be a person of character. If you have something to write with, maybe you've been writing, but I want you to get a note card or a small sheet of paper. And I want to give you, if there's anything you leave this breakout with, I want it to be this. This would be how I would define character or even explain how to build character. I want you to write this on that note card or on that sheet of paper. Do the wise thing. Do the wise thing. A person of character is constantly doing the wise thing. We need to regularly ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? See, doing the wise thing, not the right thing, not the moral thing, but the wise thing creates character. Here's what I mean. We are all faced with decisions on a daily basis that directly reflect our character, but are not necessarily an issue of right and wrong. For example, dating, finances, school, relationships, time, work, driving, on and on and on. And the most important and also the most courageous question that we can ask is this. What's the wise thing to do? That's a courageous question. Here's why it's courageous. Because it's going to have a clear answer. Asking what the right thing to do can be a cop-out for many of us because there are a lot of situations where it is not a right and a wrong. So for me, I know, especially when I was in college, there were times I was like, man, what is the right thing to do here? I had been reading the scriptures. I had been growing in Christ for a couple years and there was not a clear biblical teaching on this one thing. And so I was like, well, I don't know. There is not a right and a wrong. So I guess, oh, sweet, I can do what I want. But if I would have asked, what's the wise thing to do here? If I want to be a Christ-like person, if I want to be a person of really strong character, what would the wise thing be? And all of a sudden, you're going to have a clear answer. You're going to know what the wise thing to do is. Now, I'm not saying you ask what the wise thing to do is in areas that there is a clear right and wrong. But in the multitude of areas that are gray, what's the wise thing to do? For example, how you spend your time. That's an issue of character. Andy Stanley says this, time is either your closest ally or your worst enemy. Why? Because how we spend our time is of paramount importance when it comes to character. Some of us think, well, I already spent time in the Word for 15 minutes today, and I prayed after that, so now I can do whatever I want with the rest of my day. If you've been having quiet times in your life, some of us get into this checklist mentality. 
oh, I've done my 15, 30 minutes in the Word, so now the rest of the day is mine. But see, the problem is the rest of the day is when you are either enhancing or diminishing your character. A lot of guys, if they've had their quiet time, would feel totally comfortable playing five to six straight hours of Xbox or PlayStation or watch, you know, binge watch Netflix back to back to back. But in the end, that is actually where you're really building your character. Now, yes, keep that daily discipline of spending time in the Word, but the rest of the day, the rest of the day is all of those daily choices. But if you were to start asking the question, what's the wise thing to do with the rest of my day? All of a sudden, character starts to be built. A really good friend of mine that I respect a ton says this. If we spent more time telling people who they are, we could spend less time telling people what to do. Too often we get in this mentality, we want other people to tell us, what do we do here? And it's great to have counsel, and I would encourage all of you to seek tons of counsel. But if you and I had the discipline to regularly ask, especially during times where there's not a clear and a right and wrong, what would be the wise thing to do here? What would be the wise way to spend my time? What would be the wise way to handle this dating relationship? What would be the wise way to deal with this conflict in my life? What would be the wise way to spend my evening when I have a couple tests coming up? See, if we spent more time telling a person, you are a committed follower of Christ, you are a child of God, we could spend less time giving people the, here's step one, step two, step three. So often, if I thought of my standing before God, the price that he paid for me, and the fact, not the idea, but the fact that I am his child, that would completely change my decisions throughout the day. And the result would be a changed character. I'd grow. I'd grow tremendously. I know of a guy that had a real, real corrupt background. He was a corrupt businessman. He had stolen lots of money. No one that knew the guy liked the guy. He had not only taken people's money, but he had used some of it as blood money to kill some of his own people. This man ended up placing his trust in Christ. He became a follower of Jesus, and it turned his whole life around. I can promise you that this guy had horrible routines, horrible habits. But when he started following Jesus, all of a sudden it changed the way that he viewed himself. And he realized, I am not this horrible person that I used to be. I'm somebody new. And here's what he chose to do. He chose to give half of his possessions to the poor. And anyone that he could name, that he could remember, that he stole money from, he paid them back. And he didn't just pay them back dollar for dollar. He paid them back four times what he stole. Now, some of you may say, hey, I think I might know this guy. Yeah, if you know your Bible, you do. His name was Zacchaeus. And we read about him in Luke 19. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of a tree that he had climbed up in. And then Jesus goes to his house and eats. And all that happens to Zacchaeus 
is that he has this true encounter with Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus to go give half of his possessions to the poor. He doesn't tell Zacchaeus to pay back people four times the amount he stole. Zacchaeus just thought, what would be the wise thing to do? If I want to be a man of character, when I was a man of horrible character, if I was to become a man of character, the type of person I want to be is somebody that people look to as a follower of Jesus, somebody that has high character. What would I do? Oh, I know what I'd do. I'd give up a bunch of my possessions to the poor. And anyone that I stole from, I'm not just going to pay them back dollar for dollar. I'm going to give them four times the amount. See, Zacchaeus was a man that decided the type of person he wanted to be. He started to prove it to himself by small wins. I would love to know the first person that he paid back. That was a small win. And then he went to the second person, then the third. I would love to know some of the first poor people that he gave possessions to. Hey, aren't you that guy that stole money? Aren't you that guy that was so greedy and selfish? Yeah, I was. But that's not who I am anymore. And so here, here's a bunch of money or here's a bunch of possessions. Do you think that was easy for Zacchaeus? To give half of his possessions to the poor? To pay pay back people really an astronomical rate, four times what he took? I don't think it was. I bet you it was tough. He really could have kept, he could have kept a lot of his money. He could have just paid back people dollar for dollar. But he knew the wise thing to do. He knew that if he wanted to be the man of of good character, it was going to take these small wins that would lead to great character. See, Zach's character, Zacchaeus's character, mattered more than his money, more than his time, more than his comfort. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that note card or wherever you wrote, do the wise thing. And I want you to make it a bookmark or I want you to put it somewhere, maybe put it on the visor in your car. And I want to challenge you in 2021 to make this a regular question that you ask yourself. What's the wise thing for me to do? I want you to make maybe... This could be a motto for 2021 for you. 2021, I'm going to do the wise thing. And I want you to look at this a lot. You will never regret spending great time to build your character. Let's all be like Zacchaeus. Let's do the wise thing, even if it hurts. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I want you to know that you can find all of the other breakout sessions on Apple and Spotify at SMC 2021. Hope you guys have a wonderful SMC, whether you're virtual or not.